0: I will be reading from John chapter four, verses twenty-three to twenty-four. In your pew Bibles, the reading is found on page nine forty-one. I will be reading from the King James Version. John four twenty-three to twenty-four. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. good morning it is good to see each of you if you're visiting with us again we welcome you it is great to have you here this morning you being here is encouragement to us and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you also you know as we think about good health this morning when you like to have a doctor that you could ask a question like this I've heard that cardiovascular exercise can prolong life is this true and the doctor would answer Your heart's only good for so many beats and that's it. Don't waste them on exercise. Everything wears out eventually. Speeding up your heart will not make you live longer. That's like saying you can extend the life of your car by driving faster. You want to live longer, take a nap. Or what about this one? Should I cut down on meat and eat more fruits and vegetables? You must grasp this concept. What does a cow eat? Hay and corn. And what are these? Vegetables. So steak is nothing more than an efficient mechanism of delivering vegetables to your system. You need grain, eat a chicken. Beef is a good source of field grasses, green leaves, and et cetera. And the questions go on and ask questions about, is fried foods bad? And then the answer is, remember, it's fried in vegetable oil. If it's saturated in vegetables, how can it be bad for you? Then it asks about chocolate and and says, you're not getting this. Keep in mind, vegetables are good, and chocolate comes from the cocoa beans. And so therefore it has to be good for you. What would you think if you went to a doctor and he was very serious about answers like this? What if he told you exercise is not needed at all and really anything you want to eat. Eat it in any amount you want and everything's going to be okay. It wouldn't take long for you and I to figure out. I don't think he really has our best interest of our health at heart. When we think about building a healthy life spiritually... Do you have your best interest in mind as it pertains to worship? Worship is vital for you and I to be the spiritual beings that God has designed us to be. And so therefore, we must take upon ourselves a life of worship. And I want to note that, a life of worship. Now, we can live a life of service that prepares us for the time of worship that we all come together. So let's note this. Now, just by a little insight, the text that was so capably read this morning is really one of the greatest texts that we have if we drop back and look at the whole chapter, that about evangelism. Jesus was studying with a Samaritan woman, and as he studied with the Samaritan woman, very quickly it came up about her past. And as we look back in John the 14th chapter and verse 16, he said, call your husband. And she said in 17, I don't have a husband. In 18, he says, you've said it right because you've had five husbands and now the one you were with, you're only living with him. He's not your husband. Now, she went from thinking of him of just being a man and a Jewish man to thinking you must be a prophet. And this authority stood out in her mind. Because even after everything else was said and done, if we were to skip down now to verse 28 and 29, this is the point where she had ran out to the city. And all the things that she remembered, this was the one thing that stood out in her mind. She said, as she went out to the city, come and see a man who told me all things that ever I did. You see, this is one reason why the Godhead is worthy for us to worship far above man, far above a prophet. We come together to worship God. Well, it is in this context that he has exposed her immorality that she chooses to change the subject. You know, any society, any culture has hot buttons that are issues that immediately, if you want to get the focus off of yourself, you just bring up one of those and immediately the whole focus becomes about this. Well, that's what she's going to do here, the Samaritans that were north of Jerusalem. For ages now, the discussion has been between the two, which one was right. The Jews, of course, believed they were right, that they should worship God in Jerusalem. The Scriptures would back that up. But the Samaritans also wanted to believe that they were right and the worship in the Mount Jerasim, that that too would be perfectly acceptable and appropriate. And so when we look in verse 19, 20, 21, 22, those are the verses there where she decides to change the subject. Well, since you're sounding like a very intelligent prophet, where do you think we ought to worship? And this brings us to the text that was just read this morning. Notice, the Lord did not place an emphasis upon the Jews or upon the Samaritans. The Lord placed the emphasis upon the fact that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. But as we see this passage again that was read, I want you to notice the words that are underlined there and so notice the emphasis on the worshiper themselves. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such. Now who are the people He's seeking? He's seeking true worshipers. He's seeking such to worship Him. God is the Spirit and those who are the, those, those true worshipers who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Definitely this is a passage about what our worship ought to be. I do not want to take away from that. It is very appropriate and needed for us to study what is it to worship God in spirit and in truth. Truth is the authority, it's the standard by which we find how we are to worship God. John 17 and 17 tells us that that truth is in the Word of God. But today I want us to back up and to look from this text in the way that it's written here where he says, let me tell you about the true worshiper. It matters who we are. It matters what we bring into worship. It matters what we've done last night it matters what we've done over the weekend it matters how we lived our life this week I can't live like a heathen and come in and worship like a saint on Sunday God is looking for true worshipers now for just a moment let's think of the idea of true its it's counterparts opposite of a counterfeit now as, as we look at the picture here uh, I know the text is real small, and it's not there for, for your benefit per se. Notice the, if, if you can make out the pictures there. You know, a $5 bill. There have been so many counterfeit uh, items, uh, especially that of our money. And, of course, it's easy to recognize why that would be uh, tempting to counterfeit, because of its worth. Counterfeit experts say that if you want to identify a false or a counterfeit $5 bill, you look at the portrait. The portrait blends into the background. On a real $5 bill, it almost looks dimensional. It's very different from the background. Or the borders on the edges, the, what I would call the right and left edges of a $5 bill. If you look very closely, there are fine lines, and they're all clean and unbroken, but yet those that counterfeit them have a very difficult time counterfeiting those fine lines so that they're unbroken. Or also, if you were to look at the paper, the paper... Of a genuine five dollar bill has fibers red and blue embedded into the paper it's almost impossible for counterfeiters to counterfeit that and so therefore they'll try schemes of printing dots that look like lines or look like fibers that would be red or blue but they're not fibers that are embedded into the paper now at a glance now please get this for spiritual purposes At a glance, wouldn't it be easy to believe that if someone was good at counterfeiting a $5 bill, at a glance, wouldn't it be easy to believe that it was the real thing? But if it's not, it has no worth. But at a glance, it could seem like the real thing. Now, I'm not suggesting that you and I need to start scoping the auditorium here and try to figure out, are you a true worshiper or are you a counterfeit worshiper? The Lord would call them instead of calling them counterfeits in Matthew 15 chapter, he would call them hypocrites. Are you a true worshiper or are you a hypocrite? But you know I need to scope myself. And I need to look within myself and make sure that I am what God has asked me to be. Am I the true deal? Am I genuine and real in my relationship with God and how I live my life so that when I bring, and here's a key phrase for this morning's study when I bring my offering, my sacrifice in to offer worship to God, my worship will be acceptable. When we think, what is the difference? in true worship and counterfeit worship. I'd like for you to think of two examples back in the old Bible. The first example we'll mention is Genesis the fourth chapter. In Genesis the fourth chapter, we have two brothers that both brought worship. If you and I stood by on the sidelines and we could watch Cain and Abel offer their offerings, I just wonder how many of us would have immediately said, Oh, oh, did you see that? Cain just messed up. He offered an offering that God is not going to accept. I don't know. I don't know if that would have been obvious to us. But it was obvious to God. It was so obvious to God that he came down and told Cain, not only did he not accept his worship. See, he did offer something. He did offer something. But God said, is a counterfeit. I don't accept your worship. So therefore, I don't accept you. But yet when he spoke of Abel, he said not only did he accept his worship, but he accepted him. And so I realize as we begin the Bible how important true worship is to God, but true worship comes from true worshipers. You see how that goes hand in hand? That's a point that I want us to really drive home this morning and and study it and believe it and live it. There's no such thing as me personally coming in and offering true worship this morning to God, and yet I'm not a true worshiper. The two must go hand in hand. I have to live the life to be able to give the offering to God when it comes time to give that offering. Now, as we go over to Genesis, the 22nd chapter, another example is not only that the sacrifice had to be acceptable to God. In other words, that's the standard. It has to be acceptable to God if it's to be true, if the person is to be a true worshiper. But also, we have to be willing to sacrifice. You know, one of the stories that I tell you, it puts, it puts a lump, a huge fist in our throat. When we really study it and picture it and try to identify with Abraham, he would wait for a hundred years for this son, the only son of He and Sarah's. And finally, through this son is the promise going to be fulfilled of the father of a great nation. And God tells him, I want you to go and I want you to offer this son as a sacrifice. What are you willing to give for God? Can you honestly say God is first and foremost in your life? Can you say that you love God and you place God above all of your family, above all your friends, above any power and prestige, above any career, above anything? If all of your friends turned away from God, would you stay with Him? If all of your family turned away from God, would you be in the house of worship the next Sunday? Abraham proved his faith. He took his son, he took some servants, he took a donkey, he loaded that donkey with wood, and they started on a three-day journey. Does worship have to be convenient? Does it have to be convenient for you? Isn't it interesting? We're studying here about a true worshiper, and God asked so much of him, and what he was asking was not convenient. And at a distance, he sees Mount Moriah, and he says to the servants, as he unloads the wood and places it on Isaac's back, and he takes the fire in his hands because he's going to offer his son as a burnt sacrifice, and he takes a knife in his other hand, and he turns to the servants. Now listen to this. You stay here while the lad and I go yonder to worship. First time in the Bible the word worship is used. I'm not suggesting to you it's the first time worship ever took place, but it's interesting, the first time that the word worship is used in all of the Bible. There's nothing convenient about it. There's nothing entertaining about it. It's all about God. And it's all about one submitting their life and their will and their sacrifice to God. Now what did Jesus say? God's a spirit and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Even under the new covenant, worship is all about God. And it's whether or not we're willing to be true worshipers, whether we're willing to be the real deal that comes in to offer our sacrifice to God. But as you see just from these two examples, you see the fact that God has always related worship to what we sacrifice, what we offer, what we give. And in this context, I don't just mean contribution. I'm talking about what we give in our worship to God. Now with this in mind, I want you to think about what is the difference And the counterfeit worshiper and the true worshiper, it has to do with that heart of sacrifice. But now let's think about it from a New Testament example. Look with me, if you will, to Colossians, the third chapter. In Colossians, the third chapter, we'll read a verse that is very well known and appreciated among people uh, that worship. When we study about worship in the New Testament, Colossians 3 and 16 is definitely a passage that, that we must... Uh, look at. We must love it. We must appreciate it. Let the word of God of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. Now here's the type of songs that are be sung, and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now notice this singing with grace, note that word, in your hearts to the Lord singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Now, wait a minute. Usually when we study in the Bible about grace, we're studying about the grace that God offers us. And the greatest demonstration of grace that God has ever demonstrated to us is Jesus Christ dying on the cross. So oftentimes when we think of the word grace, we immediately think of Jesus dying on the cross. That's true that it can mean that. But I need to realize that the word grace simply means a favorable, liberal, joyous gift. It's the idea of giving something that's wonderful, that's positive. Do you realize in the text we just read, God is asking something of us, and you know what God wants you and I to give Him? He wants you and I to give Him grace. I said, I never thought about giving God grace. Yes, we bestow grace upon God. What does that mean? It means when we sing, we have come into worship this morning. Now, can I say this? We have come into worship this morning. And during the week, we've seen the power of God in our life, and it just, we love God. We've studied God's Word, and we've been filled with the knowledge of God. We have strived to encourage people, whether we're at work or at school, we strive to live faithful. We've made sacrifices during the week. And now we've come together with a heart that has a gift, grace, a gift that we are ready to give to God. Cain, you worship. Cain would have to say, I did, but I didn't give the right gift. Abel, you worshiped. I did, and God accepted my gift because I gave it by faith, Hebrews, the 11th chapter, as God asked, in other words. This morning, what kind of gift have we brought to God? Our heart is to already be filled, and let's pause here and define worship. Worship is when we pour out our adoration to God. Imagine with me, if you will, and we don't have time to develop this. We've studied this together in the past. But imagine, if you will, Isaiah the sixth chapter is a beautiful vision that Isaiah saw. And in that vision, he saw the Lord high and lifted up on a throne. The throne had several steps leading up to it. And the train of his robe filled the whole room so that everybody that was in that room was in the presence and touching the robe of God. And there the seraphims were flying about and they were singing praises of holiness to God. And there is where Isaiah realized when he saw the greatness of God how feeble and how sinful he was and even that he come from sinful people and that he cried out for atonement. And it was there that after that was finished that the Lord said, I need to send someone. And he said, Here I am, Lord, send me. You remember that vision? That's a picture of worship because everything that was taking place in that vision was focused upon Jesus. Listen, we're to live a spiritual life every day of the week, but there are only certain times that the church comes together where the focus 100% is upon Jesus, the Godhead, and we pour out our adoration to God. And during that time, we must shun the thoughts of common things. During that time, we are to take a gift that is in our heart, a gift that already adores God, a gift that longs to give praise to God. And we are simply finding by truth the Scriptures, the ways God wants us to transmit that gift from our heart to Him. This morning when Phil led the prayer, he prayed that we would worship God with all of our heart. That ties in to the New Testament teaching of worship. We've come here to pour out what is already there. We didn't come here to do something that we're not. We didn't come here to participate in something that is beyond us. We've come here because we are children of God that adore God, and we want to use this because He has commanded it as a way for us to let our praise flow. Look at Hebrews, the 13th chapter. Hebrews, the 13th chapter, would say the same thing in in different words. Hebrews, the 13th chapter, verse 15. Therefore, by Him... Let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. See, there it is. What is worship? It's sacrifice. Well, what do we do? We offer the sacrifice of praise to God. Now, what is that? That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. So here, this definitely could be twofold. It could be talking about singing, that we sing praises to God. In our songs, we sing in thanksgiving to God. It could also be that of prayer, that we pray Praise to God and that we pray in thanksgiving. Notice, if you will, let's go through some slides rather quickly here and um, just to see that everything that God has asked us to do, sometimes we call them five acts of worship. I prefer to call them five avenues of worship because it's uh, the praise that is in our heart travels to God by these means. And the reason we know it is because this is what God has asked us to do. Notice, we just looked at singing. Let's go to the next one. Let's look at the Lord's Supper. 1 Corinthians, uh, the 11th chapter. He told us how to take the bread. He told us how to take the fruit of the vine. And each time he said, this do in remembrance of me. It's not just an outward activity that is important but what's more important is that begins in a heart someone that is ready to remember the lord someone that has their heart set upon the lord when we look to the next one we look about prayer and we see in matthew the sixth chapter he said don't give me those memorized prayers but instead in james the fifth chapter he says let it be the effectual fervent prayer that's what he's looking for that that's real that that begins in the heart that that was talked about in hebrews the 13th chapter that it would be from the heart and it's praise from the lips let's look at the next one about giving you know even our giving the, the plates coming down the aisle and somebody says, oh man I haven't thought about this and they reach in and they grab a thousand dollars and they put it in someone says man that was great worship no that was a big gift you can't give to God not thinking and it be worship he teaches here worship is to be from the heart It's to be a plan. It's to be something that we've thought about, something that we're intentional upon doing. Here, he says in 2 Corinthians 9 and 7, So let each one of us, as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, the very next verse speaks about grace in the sense of it being a positive gift. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have abundance for every good work. In other words, God will liberally give to you so that later on you'll have and be able to give liberally to other people. But notice, this gift that we're to give, we're to give it having planned in our heart. It's from the heart. And then finally, in Luke, the 8th chapter, we see a study of God's Word. We we see that from the parable of the souls, what was the good soul? The good soul wasn't the hard-packed soul. The good soul wasn't the, the rocky soul. The good soul wasn't where the thorns were choking out. The good soul was the heart. Notice, the Word with a noble, good heart. They received the Word with a noble and good heart. you see how the heart is involved in every aspect of worship? We've made some points, but it's to get to this. I can't bring a defiled heart into worship. In some way, a holy and wonderful sacrifice comes out of it. Worship has to come from the heart. What I've done this weekend matters. What I've said this past week matters. Whether I've lied or gossiped, whether I've forgotten God, all of that matters. Let's look at Two passages as we close. Proverbs, the fourth chapter. Proverbs, the fourth chapter. We're beginning at verse 20. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ears to my sayings. This is Proverbs 4, verse 20. Now we're at 21. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Where do we keep them? We keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them. And Now what are we studying this morning? About health. What are they? They are health to all their flesh. Now what are we to do? Keep your heart. It means guard. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. Or it says, put up a, a hedge. Put up a guard. Why? Keep your heart pure. That's why. Why? Because everything that's important is going to come out of your heart. And this morning we've learned that one of the most important things that we do is we worship. But we can't defile our heart and be a true worshiper. Now, people have tried it. And we close this morning with a passage out of Matthew 15. Matthew 15, there was a group that they had defiled many things in their life. Because they defiled these things, their heart was not pure. One of the things that they had defiled was the idea of kind of escaping responsibility of their parents. And and what they would do is they had some kind of uh, cultural acceptance that if they said that they gave a gift at the temple that the swap in that would be that if we gave the gift of the temple, we didn't have to take care of our aging parents. And of course, the Ten Commandments wouldn't allow that. They would honor their mother and father. Now, let's think about this for just a minute. If someone refused to obey God's command about a day-to-day activity like honoring their mother and father, how would God look upon their worship? Now, sometimes we act as if, oh, it'd be no problem as long as you just come into the right place and worship and you just do the right things while you're there. I'm sure that'd be fine with God. Absolutely not. God is seeking true worshipers. He's looking for people that are the real deal. And so here's what happens. He describes that situation I just told you has been described. And now let's read verse 8 and 9. Verse 7, he says, Hypocrites, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth. Now, for application today, they've come together and they've sung wonderful songs this morning. They've said prayers this morning. They've talked about and prayed about the Lord's Supper. They were drawing near with their mouth and they were honoring me with their lips. They were saying wonderful things about God. But their heart is far from me. What happens when people say good things with their lips and they say honoring things with their lips? but their heart is far from God. Here's the summary, verse 9. In vain, empty, worthless, in vain, they worship me, teaching His doctrines the commandments of men. Skip down to verse 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornication, theft, false witnesses, blasphemy. See the point that Jesus was making? It's almost as if Jesus were saying, if I were just standing there in a worship setting, Wow, you say the right things. Honoring words come out of your mouth. And you can imagine the human side would be like, good, this is sounding great. Listen to the evaluation that God is giving us. And then he'd say, now, your heart, it's not anywhere close. Where does that leave us, God? I've not accepted anything about your worship. But Lord, you just said, we said honoring things. I won't accept it. That's serious. I could come in and, from an outward appearance, do everything right. And the Lord would say on the way out of the door, Your activity was vain, it's worthless. Can you imagine knowing that you had a doctor's appointment tomorrow at 2? And so at noon, you think, Oh, they're going to monitor my heart. I tell you what, for the first time this year, I'm going to eat grilled chicken for lunch. And you know what? I haven't been doing anything but just sitting on the couch. But I tell you what, right after lunch, I'm going to go run a mile if it's at all possible. I'm going to run a mile. That way, before I make it to the doctor by 2... I'm going to have had a good meal and I'm going to have had exercise and I just know, I just know that everything's going to come out fine about my test. Can you imagine being... That isn't it? Can you imagine someone living against God during the week and some way convincing themselves as they drive toward a worship service God's going to be pleased that I'm worshiping Him. He's going to accept this. It's going to be like a big chalk up for me. And God says, hypocrite. It was in vain. But what a beauty it is. When somebody has loved God all week long and they've lived for God and they've sacrificed for God all week and on the way in to worship, their heart is just boiling over. It's running over with a love for God and they can't wait to come together for that first song because they're thinking in their heart, God, I've got a gift for you and I can't wait to sing that gift for to you. I can't wait to pray with my brothers and sisters because I have a gift from my heart I want to give you. I can't wait to remember your son. I've been remembering him all week and I've been longing to come around this table. God, I can't wait to give you my gift. I've been planning it. I've sacrificed for you, God. I can't wait to give you my gift when the collection plate comes around. God, I can't wait to study from your word to study you, God. It's one of the greatest ambitions I have in life. That's a true worshiper. This morning... Satan's going to try to convince us of a lot of other things. You and I know because we know God. We know what's best in our life. This morning, if you're not true to God, beautiful thing is you can be by the time you leave because He's a forgiving God. He's a God that says, I can wipe the slate clean and you can start afresh right now. By my grace and mercy and the blood of my Son, you can begin anew. And if you need to begin anew, if you need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, or if you have and yet sin is separated and you need to repent and come back, and let's pray forgiveness if we can help in any way. Let's all leave here today not only worshiping in spirit and in truth, but being true worshipers, worshiping in spirit and in truth. If we can help you, come as we stand, as we sing.